guys. You can go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phone or your tablet. It'll be on the state on the on the screen too. Okay, while you're turning to Mark chapter nine, my parents are here this morning, um, which is good. So whatever happens right now, you can blame on them. Um, but uh, they they always come into town for first birthdays in my family, and so they're here. Uh, for Iverly Jean's first birthday, which is tomorrow. Um, we're excited about that, but don't say too much about that to Heather because she might just spontaneously cry. Um, so just stay away from that subject with her. Um, kids grow up too fast. The days are long. Uh, yeah, yes, the days are long and the years are short. I heard somebody who was older say that the other day, and um, my oldest is six, and that's just crazy to me. Um, and I feel like sometimes the days, seven, seven, he just turned seven. Oh my goodness, the days are long. Wow, I can't believe I did it. Good thing he's not in here. Um, anyway. Technology, we're starting a, uh, a, uh, a series next week on technology, how it's your best friend or it's your worst enemy, and that, this is an example of that. So, um, but I want to read uh, from Mark chapter 9. So go ahead and look at verse, cha- verse 1. Of Mark chapter 9. Let's read together. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he said to them, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared with them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come first, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about about him. Let's pray again together. God, um, we thank you that you are almighty God, and we serve a God that never, ever changes that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, Father, I pray that you would help me to serve well this morning and that it would be all about you and that as we worship in song and as we worship in thought now, that we would engage God with you in your presence, the presence of an almighty God who loves us no matter what. Father, thank you for being here with us. We love you and we need you in Jesus' name. Amen. We all, we all idolize something, and next week we're going to start, or two, in two weeks, next week we're going to have a baptism. Um, we're excited about that. There's seven people getting baptized. 
We're also going to start in two weeks a series called Wise Living in a Smart World. And we're going to look at the good and the bad of technology and how it shapes our world and how it affects our family life and how it affects our relationship with God um, and all of that. And, and the truth of the matter is there's good about technology and there's bad about technology, obviously. Um, but sometimes some of us begin to idolize technology. We either begin to idolize technology or we begin to idolize things in our life, possessions in our lives. And sometimes we idolize uh, people. And for me, oftentimes, I tend to idolize people in my life. And as a pastor, I, uh, I spend a lot of time reading. I spend a lot of time listening to other people uh, preach. And um, <clears throat> when, it's, when I need interpretation of the Bible or when I need some ideas or anything like that, I tend to go to the same people over and over again. It depends on the, the season of my life, but I'll listen to the same person over and over and over again, and I'll go to them as a primary source and, and, uh, and see what they have to say about certain things. Um, and, and it could be because they're a great preacher. It could be because they have a huge church and their systems are great. Um, and, and, and eventually, they actually become famous, right? They have such a, a, a presence in the public eye that that person becomes famous. And then often what happens is they get slandered or or everyone in the news or on Facebook starts to write things about these people. And we start to look for ways to bring down uh, famous people in the church. And, and what happens to my mind when that happens? And sometimes these guys and women, they are actually worthy of the calling that they have received. And they're, and they're being persecuted for the name of Jesus. We rejoice because of that. I mean, the Beatitudes said, blessed is the one who is persecuted for my name's sake. And we love that. But sometimes these people, they actually do something that requires other people to give them grace when they mess up. But that's so hard when they're in the public eye, right? And so when you read something on Facebook or when you see something in the news that's, that these people have actually done something to to slander their, or make uh, worse their testimony for Jesus, my first reaction, I know I need to just give grace. Because so many people have given me grace, and I need to give them grace, and they're in the public eye, and this tension arises in my, in my heart. And I know this tension is, man, should I, I mean, is everything this person has said right should I be listening to this person? Should I associate with this person? Because everybody's going to read this. What are they going to think about me? And what actually happens is I, I start to idolize the person. I start to idolize the person. And when that happens, I start to put more weight in my life on what that person has said about a certain subject than what I'm reading in the Bible than what the Holy Spirit is telling me about what God has already said. So I start to idolize these people. And we all get to the point where when we begin to idolize something, and I, I want to give you a clear definition of what idolization is, okay? When it comes to Jesus, it is when anything or anyone in your life distracts you from your relationship with Jesus in any way. When any, anything or anyone 
in your life distracts you from your relationship with Jesus in any way, that is becoming or has already become an idol. And it takes our eyes off of Jesus. And so the, the title this morning is going to be Jesus is Greater Than. I love this. This is like Mike's most creative um, experiment right here. I tell him, hey, I want it to be Jesus is greater than whatever, and he sends me this. Uh, now, you know, you could speculate. Maybe he didn't have time to do anything better. But when I got that, I was like, man, I would have never thought of that. That's just genius. So good job, Mike, on this one. Uh, Jesus is greater than anything that you could put in the line. Jesus is greater than. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we trust in who Scripture says that he is. He is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus will never, ever change, and he will never, ever fail us. But so often in our relationship with Jesus, we are limited by our idolization of things and or people, okay, that are always changing and that will change and that will not last, but we can see them. We're limited by our idolization of those things, and they take our eye off of what is unseen, but will never, ever, ever change or ever fail us. I mean, doesn't that make sense in my life? And so I want to take us through this passage in Mark chapter 9 and look at how Jesus is greater than anything you could put in that line. First thing I want to point out comes from, from uh, verse 2. And this is kind of the premise of the whole thing this morning. After, Je- after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Okay. Now, in church history would say that this is Mount Tabor, okay, which is 12 miles from the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but scholars of today, most of them say this is Mount Hermon, which is outside of Galilee, rising 9,166 feet above sea level. And why doesn't it tell us that? Because you know what? Here's the premise, that our faith is never, has never been is not and never will be about a place or a thing. Our faith has always and always will be about a person. So sometimes I think that some things get left out of Scripture and God did not want them in there and the people who wrote through the Holy Spirit left these things out because they don't want us to get lost in meaningless details, right? Our faith has always been about the person of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to verse 1. And he said to them, this is Jesus again talking to his disciples, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. So there's six kind of interpretations of what that means. Okay, You will not taste death before what? What does that mean, that the kingdom of God will come in power? Okay, I'm going to share them all with you, and you'll see why that's important in a minute. But the first interpretation is that some will not taste death before the actual transfiguration of Jesus, what happens right here in this story. Number two, some will not taste death before Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Number three, some will not taste death before the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Number four, Some will not taste death before the spread of Jesus' kingdom through preaching in the early church. Number five, 
Some will not taste death before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And number six, some will not taste death before the coming and final establishment of, the, of, of Jesus' kingdom, of his second coming and the final establishment of his kingdom. We know it's not number six because we're all still here. We believe in Jesus. We know we're going to heaven. We know that he's coming again. He hasn't come yet, and the people that wrote this are dead. And so it's not number six. Why is this important? Do you remember last week what the big question was that Kyle spoke about? What was it? Oh, yeah, I'm, Kyle's not going to be happy with you. Big question. What? Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ. And in some of the other Gospels, he goes on to say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then right after that happens, look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31 to 33. Right after Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, this happens. He, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I was like, Peter, you just said that this was the son of the living God. Not so sure it's a good idea to rebuke him. I wouldn't have done that. I would have been scared to do that. But Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him after he said that. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said this, get behind me, Satan. This is the guy that just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, there's two stages of Jesus' ministry to his disciples. And I think that there's two stages in Jesus working in all of our lives. Stage one is that we're actually able to identify who Jesus is. The disciples spent time with Jesus and listened to him and watched him until the time came that they could correctly identify who Jesus was. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then it goes on to phase two because there's a lot of people. I mean, even the demons know who Jesus is. And how do they respond? They tremble. And so phase two is that it's not just enough to know that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that he is the Christ, okay? You've got to go further. And phase two of Jesus' ministry was for his disciples to understand why the Son of God was on earth, to understand the mission of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of of the living God. His mission was actually to live and to die and to go and suffer on the cross for the sins of the world and become the savior of the world. If you know the first part that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, it's not enough. That phase two was you've got to know why 
It's important that he was on earth and why he suffered and why he died. And there was an expectation gap for Peter, his disciple, who had been with him, who had watched him, who had experienced him. There's this expectation gap between what Peter knew and what Peter expected, how Peter expected that knowledge to be played out in his life. Okay, Peter expected that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have come to save us. You've come to save us from Roman oppression. This is your kingdom. Your kingdom has to be now. You can't go and die. And so when Jesus starts saying, I'm going to have to go, and I'm going to have to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again three days, and Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen, because you're supposed to be the king of the Jews. As you know that on Palm Sunday, when... Jesus, in his triumphal entry, and he's walking in to Jerusalem on a, on, a, on a donkey, and they're shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! You know what the word Hosanna means? The word Hosanna means save now. Because every single one of them, this is why he marches in one day, and they're all yelling, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! And then a week later, the same people are yelling, crucify him, and they send him to a cross. Because there was an expectation gap between who they believed Jesus to be, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and what they believed his mission was, or how they believed he was going to carry out that mission, because they wanted him to save us now. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, save us now. We're under Roman oppression, you got to be the king. you got to save us now. Even after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus escaped quietly through the crowd. Why? Because they were going to come and take him and make him king by force. There's an expectation gap. A lot of times that happens with us, that happens with me. I know who Jesus says he is. I know the promises that he's made me. I even know that the mission that he had here on earth was to come and die for my sins. I know all that. But a lot of times there's an expectation gap between the truth that I know in my head and how I expect God to carry that out in my life. And when he doesn't carry it out in my life the way that I expect him to because of what I know about him, then there's turmoil in my life. And I even begin to what? Do the same thing that Peter did. I begin to rebuke God. I say, wait a minute. God, you can't do this this way. You can't do this in my life. Let's move on. The transfiguration is not an event that is prophesied about. It's not something that Jesus warned his disciples that were going to happen. No, he just brought three of them up on a mountainside on a high mountain, and then boom, he was transfigured before them. This becomes the culmination of phase one of Jesus' ministry with his disciples as they professed, last week we heard, you are this Christ, the Son of the living God. And it launches Jesus into phase two because Jesus will be in glory in his kingdom. Okay? He will be, but that kingdom was not what they expected. It was not an earthly kingdom. Let's go to verse 4. It says this, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were walking with Jesus. So, who were talking with Jesus, sorry. So, there's Jesus, 
dazzling white, bright white, whiter than anyone on earth could ever bleach any clothes. Jesus standing there, and you've got Moses, the lawgiver, and you've got Elijah, the prophets. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, a major prophet whom it was prophesied about that he would come back before the Messiah. Okay, because in verse, in verse 12 and 13, the, the disciples asked Jesus about that, and they said, isn't, isn't Elijah supposed to come back before the Messiah? And Jesus' simple answer is yes. And they're like, wait a minute. Jesus, you're usually not wrong about this stuff, but uh, he hasn't come back yet. And Jesus says, to be sure, he has come back. And he's talking about John the Baptist. That the Bible says that John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah and was the fulfillment of that prophecy. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 22. Turn over to Matthew chapter 22. This is so cool. I love this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, Moses, the lawgiver, and all the prophets, Elijah, the prophets, hang on these two commandments. You see, you see why that's so cool? You've got Jesus standing with the law and the prophets. All of the law and the prophets, whom you put so much value on, whom you have followed, their example, your entire life, everything that they stood for, the whole law and all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. And Jesus was the perfect embodiment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his Father in heaven and loved everyone around him perfectly. I've never done that before, but Jesus did it. All the law and the prophets hang on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, even the Bible, we believe that this is without error, and it's God's word, inspired by the Holy Spirit to human authors, given to us so that we know what happened in history, but also so that we know how God wants us to live now. Even our faith is not about this book, okay? There's too many people in Christianity that make our faith about the Bible. But we preach the Bible. There's some people, there's some preachers out there, they preach the Bible without ever saying the name of Jesus. And I don't know how you do that. Because everything in human history that God has used has pointed to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Turn over to Luke chapter 9. I know it's a lot of turning, but y'all need to get used to turning in your Bible and looking at your Bible. It's a good thing to do. So we're going to get used to it. Luke chapter 9, verse 30. Okay? It says this, And behold, 
still hear it flipping. I'll give you a chance to get there. And behold, two men were talking with him. This is talking about the same, the same event, the transfiguration. And two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah, who appeared, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. See, this, the transfiguration, is the beginning. It's the crossover between phase one and phase two. That they knew who Jesus was, but now they had to begin to understand why Jesus came. And so Jesus is even talking to two heroes of the Jewish people's faith, Moses and Elijah. And he's talking with them. These are Old Testament heroes of the faith. Okay? Jesus is talking with them about the fact that he is about to go and die and suffer. And that he is going to accomplish at Jerusalem everything that both of them ever stood for. It's like, Moses, man, I love you so much. You followed my father. And everything that you gave to these people, man, I I love that. I appreciate that. Because it showed them their need for me. And Elijah, man, you prophesied of me, the coming Messiah. You prophesied that God wants to be back in relationship with lost people, with the people that he created. And so he's talking with these two guys about what he's actually about to... He's saying, I'm about to accomplish everything that you ever worked for. I can't imagine, even as dead guys walking, how much excitement that this gave Elijah and Moses. And this is the Christ, the son of the living God. It goes on in verse 5. It says, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say because they were so frightened. He was so scared that he just said the first thing that came to his mind, but it proves to us that Peter still does not understand what's going on. He doesn't understand. He knows that Jesus is who he says he is, but he just doesn't make the connection. There's a lost connection there. He doesn't understand what the point is that Jesus is trying to make. And then in verse 7, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is the same voice that came down um, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. This is the same voice. It, It says, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. This is God the Father talking about Jesus. They know who he is, but this does two things for Jesus. It confirms his godly authority to preach and to say the things that he's been saying. And then number two, it goes on in verse 8 to say, Suddenly when they looked around, there was no longer anyone with them except Jesus. That Jesus only was standing there. Everything... And everyone in human history that God has used for his purposes have been used for the purpose of pointing people to salvation in Jesus Christ. The entire Bible, the law, 
and the prophets were all meant to point people to Jesus Christ. So we can never, ever make our faith about anything except a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there are things that are good that can still become a distraction from a relationship with Jesus. Because what was happening there was God the Father was saying, listen, guys, you're Jews, but it's not about the law. It's not about the prophets. It is only about Jesus Christ. See, the law is good. The law is a good thing. It says that in Romans, and then it says in Romans 8.3, For the law was powerless to do, for what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. You see, the law shows us what it means. I mean, these are rules for living. The law shows us what it means to be holy and righteous but the problem is what the law couldn't do because why it was weakened by my sinful nature see if I had completely and wholly kept the law perfectly by myself no need for Jesus just don't need him because I'm good enough right but Romans 8 23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What the law couldn't do by me following it, because it's impossible for a human being to follow the law perfectly, because if it was, Romans 8.23 would not be correct. It was weakened by my sinful nature, so it could not accomplish salvation for me. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, to be salvation for me. Therefore, Ephesians 4, 8, and 9 is right, that it is not at all by anything that I could ever do. And even though I still mess up, even though my life still does not look perfect, it's not about me. My salvation has never, ever been about me. It's about Jesus and what he's already done. And then you've got the prophets. The prophets were not bad. He's not saying that the law and the prophets are bad. The prophets were good, but they all prophesied of a coming Messiah and or the desire that God's people would be able to come back into communion and relationship with him and, and bind back what sin had broken to put to death the consequences of sin in our lives through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything God does points to his son Jesus. It's either Jesus' supremacy or our need for a savior. Tim, you guys can come back up. We're going to worship together for a while. And you've heard it before that it's all about Jesus. But you might be here this morning and you just don't have a relationship with Jesus. That there just is no relationship there. You may, you may be here this morning and you've never been a religious person and you just don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never desired a relationship with Jesus. But understand that we only do what we do because of Jesus. We're only here to worship God because of Jesus. We are in freedom from sin and death because 
of Jesus. And so you may not have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know what that means? It means that you don't have to know enough. You don't have to wait until tomorrow to get right with God and then come to Jesus. No, today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, watch what we're about to do in remembering Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. And don't leave today without making that real in your life. You may be here this morning, you have a great relationship with Jesus, and your life is all about Jesus. I hope you're encouraged to keep on going and to encourage other people and to know this, that in your great relationship with Jesus, even if you mess up, guilt has no place and that he loves you no matter what. And maybe you're here this morning, you have a relationship with Jesus, he is your savior, but you're idolizing something. You're placing people or things in your life before Jesus. And it's distracting you from the central person of our faith. And so we're going to break the bread, which is a symbol of his body. And we're going to take the juice, which is a symbol of his blood, poured out for us. But as we do that this morning, we've got to think about that we make our faith about so much more than just Jesus. Sometimes it gets confusing. And sometimes religion Good things can get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. So in his presence this morning, let him help you sift just all that stuff. Because remember, your junk may be at the base of the cross, but it's not between you and Jesus anymore. That Jesus is standing right there. And your junk may still be there, but he's standing right there. Because it's not about your junk. It's not about you being perfect. It's not about you working through your junk. It's not about you getting through your sin and right with God before you come to Jesus, but he is right there wanting you. He loves your presence, so let's love his presence. God, we thank you that we are in deep, deep need for you, God, that you want us to make the connection between the fact that Jesus is the son of the living God, but in being that the sole purpose of his life on earth was to die so that we could be back in rightness with your Father. It's so simple. And so, God, I pray that wherever we are in our faith journey with you, not, not saved, saved, Christian, non-Christian, that you would meet us here, God, and that we would remember that it's all about Jesus and what you did on the cross. We need you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, you love to be with us. I pray that we would love to be with you and that our faith is simple. It's about a person, Jesus Christ, that died for us and wants to give us freedom. So God, I thank you for that. We love you and we need you. And all God's people said...
Amen. Amen. If you're going to be baptized next week, meet me up here. Talk about some things. Have a great Labor Day. We'll see you next week.